No, I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, it, it, everything falls on me. And when we don't get the job done, I'm the person that's responsible for it. Locked on Gamecocks, Matt Smith here with you, and I hope everybody is staying healthy during this unique circumstance in our country's history, but we won't dwell on it today. Let's dwell on Gamecock athletics, specifically former NFL, former Gamecocks now making it in the NFL, Dawn Staley and Frank Martin. We're going to hear from Frank Martin coming up in just a few minutes. I had the pleasure to speak with Coach Martin on Sports Talk just the other night. We're going to bring you a lot of that, all the pertinent stuff, coming up in uh, just a couple of minutes in in segments two and three. We'll cut a lot of me out and leave a lot of Frank Martin because that's what you want to hear. You want to hear him talk about the basketball team and not me. Now, what about former Gamecocks now making good in the NFL? Well, One of the Gamecocks that's doing that is one that I feel like has... Underachieved, for me, is not the right way to look at it. I think he's been underutilized. Pharaoh Cooper, a two-time All-SEC performer. That's no joke. Think about that for a moment. Think about all the players that you have watched over the years that didn't make a pair of all SEC teams. Well, Pharaoh Cooper did. Now, he's had some highlights. I've watched him. I've watched him very closely with the Rams and the Cardinals, and there have been plenty of highlights, but not long-term consistency. Now, I'm not saying he's underperformed. I'm saying he's been underutilized. I don't think so far a lot of these teams that have had Pharaoh Cooper in their grasp know precisely what they have. He is outstanding after the catch. And here's my theory on this as to why Pharaoh Cooper has not seen more time and more production as a wideout in the NFL. And it is this. First of all, he's had a couple of injuries. Okay, and anybody will tell you, and we have Dr. Rick Sanford on this show all the time, seven-year NFL veteran, uh, he always says you can't make the club in the tub. And it's really just about you miss a couple of weeks at practice. Somebody takes your job. Quarterback becomes comfortable throwing to that particular receiver. They catch a rapport. They know the game plan. It's just the way it is. That's the way life is. And football, it, it, it's magnified uh, because it's a physical game. You have to practice to play. Now, not only – so putting that aside – I also think that the NFL coaches that have had Pharaoh Cooper in their grasp just don't know what they've got in terms of yards after catch. I think Pharaoh Cooper is terribly underrated by NFL personnel to what he can do after the catch. My theory, which I was was about to share, that that's the kind of thing that doesn't always show up in practice. With the latest CBA, not not this latest, but the time before, but it's it's going to carry over, you don't get as much contact in practice. And I think that hurts two kinds of players the most. Number one, quarterbacks where scrambling is a big part of the game plan. For them, that's you know one of their top skills. 
you know, one of the, the top clubs out of their bag. Because when you watch, say, Lamar Jackson scramble in practice, well, it looks like he's getting away from everybody, but could he do that if it were live and they were hitting? Well, we don't know. We, we, we just don't know, and, we're not, and they're not going to hit to find out, and the CBA won't allow them to. Number two, receivers in terms of yards after catch for the same reasons. You know, they're just kind of thud drill or less, really, at the NFL level. And Farrow Cooper catches the slant pattern. Okay, great. But what you don't see is Farrow Cooper's ability to make one move, make a defender miss, miss, break into the open field, and then electrify a crowd with what is not 4-3 speed, like 4-6 speed, but no one ever seems to catch Farrow Cooper from behind. He returns kicks and punts at the NFL level. So I think that's what's missing from Farrow Cooper. Well, now I've said all that to say Farrow Cooper signed a one-year deal with the Carolina Panthers right back where he started in Havelock High School. I think this is a great fit. He's going to be with Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater is not a big-time downfield passer. Instead, he's going to throw a lot of quick slants, and he throws them accurately, which is why he was picked up by the Saints and why he was Drew Brees' backup, because he has a similar skill set to Drew Brees. Obviously, nowhere near the level of Drew Brees, but just a similar skill set. Brees is accurate. Bridgewater's accurate. Okay, so now, spread the field, quick hitters to Farrow Cooper, and utilize him in the return game I think he will have a great stay with the Panthers whenever we get back to football. So uh, that's something I'm just I'm excited about. I think he needs to be somewhere where they recognize what he brings to the table. And I hope that's what's happening with the Carolina Panthers and Pharaoh Cooper. Also, uh, DJ Swearinger lands back in New Orleans. So Swearinger, big hitter. He has been appreciated in the NFL. Um He's probably, he would have been better off in a different time. Just, DJ just needed to play in the 80s, man, alongside Ronnie Lott. Uh, that would have been perfect for DJ Swearinger. But he's back in New Orleans, $1.1 million deal with a great team. What's great about uh, these two signings for Gamecock fans is that you get one in DJ Swearinger in New Orleans. Well, he's going to play the Carolina Panthers at least a couple of seasons. They're going to be televised, uh, you know, quite a bit when they're they've got the Falcons in our part of the country. So you just think he's going to be on television quite a bit. Plus the Saints, as good as they are, that's you know candidate for Monday Night Football again when we get back to Monday Night Football. And Pharaoh Cooper with the Panthers. Hey, you know Channel Channel Twenty One in uh, the Carolinas every Sunday. So that's also outstanding. Uh, to have those two guys, Farrow Cooper, DJ Swearinger, a couple of all SEC performers out of South Carolina staying in the NFC South. All right, how about this news? In women's basketball, Dawn Staley named the National Coach of the Year by the Associated Press. That's the big one, and she deserved it. Of course, her Gamecocks finished number one in both polls. 
and I, I dug into the story a little bit. And because South Carolina has been so successful this year in women's basketball, 32 and one, I was there to cover a lot of that. Uh, and, and I was there for all three games in the SEC women's basketball tournament in Greenville. But you forget some things that we were talking about early season, middle of the season. That was the nation's fifth strongest schedule. Dawn Staley took her team out and tested them against anyone that would play them. Eight wins over RPI top 25 teams. Another eight against RPI top 50. 13 wins over nationally ranked opponents were more than any other team in the country and matched the most from the 2015-2016 team for the most in program history. That is awesome. Dawn Staley's club averaged 82 points a game and no player averaged more than 13.1. So how does how about that for balance? And then I think the most significant statistic for this team that embodies this team, and I saw it on display, opposing teams shot 33% from the field. That's how you go. 32-1, and one. and who was leading that defense? Aaliyah Boston. She is the SEC Defensive Player of the Year and SEC Freshman Player of the Year, and Aaliyah Boston has named, been named a finalist for the Naismith Women's Defensive Player of the Year. The only Gamecock all-time to be a finalist for this award, and the lone underclassman of the four finalists. Aaliyah Boston was special. Uh, of course, a triple-double in her first game. Kind of the crown jewel to this recruiting class for Dawn Staley. Um, and Tayasha Harris won the Dawn Staley Award. She's the second Gamecock to win the award named for her coach. And it's given out each year to the player who exemplifies the skills that Dawn Staley possessed throughout her career. Ball handling, scoring, ability to distribute and the will to win. And that is Dawn Staley, and that is Ty Harris. And uh, Harris and Boston both also earning spots on the U.S. Basketball Writers Association, All-American second and third teams. Boston makes the second team. Harris makes the third team. Just a lot of accolades still coming. And why do we bring up, uh, why do we talk so much today about the women's basketball team when we're talking to Frank Martin? Well, our next segment, we'll have... uh, some clips from Frank Martin talking to us on Sports Talk the other night, and we opened with, should Dawn Staley's team be recognized as the true national champions? He's got a pretty good answer and a pretty compelling case. So we'll start that when we come back. It's Frank Martin coming up next. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Gamecocks. Locked on Gamecocks, welcome back and thank you for staying with us. I hope everybody is staying safe, practicing social distancing. We're going to get through this and I can't wait to get our live events back in this country. It is coming uh, and we hate that we missed out on March Madness this year, but that's why I'm just in the mood for it to talk a little hoops today. And I had Frank Martin on with me 
on Sports Talk. Just the other night, we asked Frank a number of questions. One thing we didn't really get to, he addressed at a later date. And I'll share with you just a quick quote because A.J. Lawson, I guess I just thought in my mind, that ship has sailed, right? About A.J. Lawson potentially going to the NBA. I felt like there were so many warts showing that, uh, that that wasn't going to be the case. They weren't going to come back for A.J. Lawson. But he was pressed on that uh, by some reporters. And, and Frank said, I'm going to read this one to you. He and I, te- meaning he and A.J. Lawson, he and I texted this morning. We're supposed to get on a conference call with mom, dad, and him. I know A.J. and the family are at peace with him being in college. It's not like he's running away from college. It's not like he can't wait to get away from here. It's not like I have to be in the NBA. None of that is part of the equation for him. He was projected as a first-rounder or fringe first-rounder even at the end of last season. Ugh, honestly, I, I never thought he looked like a first-round. And, and I, I know that sounds harsh, but I always thought, he needed to be uh, both more consistent and be a more efficient, effective player. Uh, efficiency is so important in today's NBA. I mean, just just go look at the shooting percentages uh, in the NBA right now. And it's an offensive game right now in the NBA with the way they're calling it. This season, A.J. Lawson averaged 13.4 points. Okay, that's fine. 3.7 rebounds. Well, he's a wing player, kind of a guard. Okay, 1.9 assists. I think nothing to write home about there. Shooting 41% from the field and 33.9% from three. I think that is the number that needs to go up for A.J. Lawson. Now, usually in the NBA, they really draft on potential. And so the potential is there for A.J. Lawson. But I know I would like to see him be more efficient, get that shooting percentage up. Uh, I'm no NBA scout, obviously, and I don't know what they would say about it. But I would expect. A.J. Lawson to come back to school. Now, on to Frank Martin and what he had to say. Let's go back to what I referenced a minute ago. Should Dawn Staley's team be recognized as national champions? I think Frank Martin makes a pretty compelling case. Uh, why not? I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I, uh, you know, it's uh, uh their consensus number one. They they played the hardest schedule in the country. They beat everybody. Uh, um, you know, I know they had that one loss, but but why not? It's uh, it's not like it's up for debate as far as that goes. So uh, they are uh, the the uh, you know uh, they're an established program. So it's not like they came out of left field. Um, it's uh, I think everything's in place to to do that. Uh, obviously. Um, uh, you know, the difference, here's the difference between them and the Central Florida situation. Central Florida uh, didn't get to play in the actual nat- national championship format for whatever reason. And uh, in this one, there was no format. This is like the back in the day uh, with football where, when there's no playoff. And the teams that were number one in the country were either unanimous national championship or split national champions and they were unanimous so why not well a lot of that is hard to argue with i think you could argue here here's the argument that needs to be made for dawn staley's team should there be a national champion crowned that's really the debate we're talking about if a national champion should be crowned well then it's almost unquestionably dawn's team the argument would be no champion 
should be crowned. That's the argument against Dawn Staley's team, kind of the 1994 baseball strike. Just no World Series that year. That's just the way it is. You can't have a champion without a World Series. That's what we have to determine. Where we are as sports fans, if there's no NCAA tournament, can there be a champion? Well, we had college football champions before we had bowls, or or, or, or bowls didn't matter, uh, didn't factor in. We had national championships, uh, national champions in football, when sometimes they'd lose in the bowl because we crowned the national champion and voted before the bowl even took place. So that's the debate we have to have, and we will continue that debate tomorrow because uh, we also spoke to Don Staley last week, so we'll get that to you as well here on Locked On Gamecocks. Now, back on the men's basketball, how would Frank evaluate the season he just had, you know, 18 and 10, 10 and 8 in the SEC. And was this a club that was going to earn its way into the NCAA tournament? If they were going to, what would they have to do in Nashville? There's a void that was left at the end. Uh, too many people make the assumption that we weren't going to the NCAA tournament. That's not accurate. We had games to play. We We had opportunities in front of us, and we had done – uh, enough that if, uh, in my opinion, if we had made it to the Saturday game, um, we had a chance. Uh, we we would have been right there uh, to get ourselves back in. Uh, and uh, uh, given the fact that we're playing uh, nine freshmen and sophomores in our top ten players, uh, our senior that played uh, actually, uh, you know, it's the first time he's ever been expected to lead. And he got himself going the second half of the season and played at an elite level. Um, you know, it was part of his journey and part of this team's journey. But when you, you take it to consideration, uh, the wins away from home, who we beat, um, uh, the way we managed the injuries and everything else that unfortunately we dealt with, uh, I think we were right there. I think mm-hmm. we we're right there. And anytime you're in the conversation for an NCAA bid, you had a successful season and, uh, uh, I, I, you, you probably know this better than me. Uh, fifth time in the last six years that, uh, we have no fourth time in the last five years that we have double figure conference wins. Um, you know, it's a lot of good. And, uh, unfortunately we couldn't finish the season to, to find out if we would have made that NCAA tournament or not. Frank Martin, pretty confident in his club. Felt like they could have made it to Saturday in Nashville. They were going to have to do some damage and uh, beat LSU along the way. But Frank Martin, very confident. He likes this team. It's going to change a little bit. We'll talk about that a little bit coming up in our final segment. Uh, We still have, with all those close calls of this team, Coach Martin's thoughts on Jermaine Kuznard, why the injury to Justin Minaya was so important, how he's managing this roster, and South Carolina fouled a lot. What did he think of that? We finally kind of get, you know, away from the emotion, away from the season. We get to just talk to Frank Martin about why his team fouled so much. We'll do it in the third segment. This is Locked On Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked on Gamecocks, talking men's basketball with Frank Martin. 
Don't forget, by the way, you can check us out everywhere you find podcasts, including just subscribe, load us up right there on your home device like Alexa, Google. Uh, so you can just say play Locked on Gamecock. So just subscribe to us and subscribe to a few more. What else are you doing? You know, you're on lockdown, man. So if you're on lockdown, check out LockedOnPodcast.com. Frank Martin had a lot of close calls this season. Well, how did he feel about those? We know how we felt about them. But here's Frank Martin on so many close games, how it could have just it just gone a little bit better. What if the ball would have bounced in South Carolina's favor? What kind of season would they have? The development of Jermaine Cousinard and why the injuries to Justin Minai and Jalen McCrary were so significant. No, I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, it, it, everything falls on me. And when we don't get the job done, I'm the person that's responsible for it. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, we lost to Boston University. Boston University won their league. Uh, so it's not like, you know, when we say we inexplicable, I don't, I don't know if I uh, agree with that one for that game. Um, you know, the, the Stetson game, they, they, they were a good team, but we, we shouldn't have lost that game. Uh, it's kind of a landscape that we've created in college basketball with all the transfers and how young every team is. And uh, I'm not trying to find a safety net because other teams around the country that are established uh, Final Four teams uh, lost at home in non-conference play, and they were young, so that's going to uh, validate our loss. No, I'm, that's just the fact that that unfortunately, um, you know, we we played a BU team that's good enough to win their league to qualify for the NCAA tournament, uh, and they were upperclassmen led, and we're a bunch of freshmen. They were trying to figure it out and just didn't get it done that night. Um, uh, but what I will say is uh, that that when Justin Minaya got hurt. We were rolling, and I was coming home every night saying, the way we were practicing and playing, I was saying, boys, we got a chance. And and that's how good we were playing. And then we lose Justin, and a day later, we lose Jalen McCreary. And now we go into a critical two-game stretch uh, at Mississippi State, LSU at home, two NCAA tournament caliber teams, and we lose both games. And it, it kind of messed us up and – you know, and then we go to Alabama and lose a one-possession game and a, a hard-fought game. And um, and then, obviously, the last game of the season, losing to Vanderbilt. Uh, it's uh, I was disappointed in, in, in the fact that we couldn't figure that game out. Those of us that cover you have our favorite players. Mine was Justin Manaya, And you touched on it a little bit and how important his injury was. But, but can yeah. you help us understand – you know, those of us that watch it from the outside, we almost it's like we can't tell our friends. I know that's bad. I know that's bad that Justin Manai is hurt. Can you help us understand why he was so important to your team? Well, he was so interchangeable. Uh, he gave us the toughness to, to rebound and block shots. He was our leading rebounder when he got hurt. Um, he was second on the team in blocks when he got hurt. Uh, he gave us a three-point shooter. His, his stats are a little deceiving because early in the year, he was still trying to find himself, his legs after the knee injury. Uh, and his confidence. But when he got hurt, he was really starting to shoot the ball well. Uh, and he gave us a fourth ball handler that can defend on the perimeter and have the toughness to defend closer to the basket. Um, it, I'm going to couple something to, to, uh, to your comment along with Justin. I think everyone saw how Keyshawn Bryant finished the season. He was playing even better in preseason. And then he hurts his knee. So when, when Keyshawn finally got back on the court and now we had him and Justin and everyone else and Jermaine started taking 
um, uh, you know, control of our point guard duties. We were playing at a high, high level, and Keyshawn and Justin had a lot to do with it because they were both so interchangeable and brought so many things to the plate uh, that allowed us to do different things defensively and uh, and offensively. Um, and, uh, you know, we had changed our offense because we wanted to play with Keyshawn and Jermaine, excuse me, Keyshawn and Justin on the court at the same time. And so we had changed what we were doing offensively, and then all of a sudden, boom, you lose Justin. And, uh, you know, and it's not like you've got an easy game in front of you. you got, like, really hard conference games in front of you, and uh, you, you have to uh, make the adjustments on the fly. And we tried and fought our tails off. We just unfortunately couldn't win some of those games that we played immediately after his injury. And, Coach, you just mentioned another player I wanted to ask you about. Uh, so often you see teams in this era, they, they kind of flatten it out or spread it out, and then a point guard can attack. And, you know, we, like Kimba Walker did years ago at UConn and, and others mm-hmm. as extreme examples. And I was wondering what you thought. It, it looks to me, again, from the outside, and I want to know from the inside, Jermaine Kuznard could become that kind of attacking player. What do you think he develops into over the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, he's got he's to become a more consistent shooter than what he showed this year. And I know he's capable of that. It's not like that's a stretch. He just, he's got he's to learn how to play. It's, it's easier to shoot the ball when you're not trying to run the team. You just go out there and shoot it. Uh, it's a lot harder to shoot balls when you're trying to run the team because you're trying to make sure that you're on the same page with the coach and the, the, the floor spaced and, and the decisions are being made. Uh, he, he's, he grew into that a lot this year. And uh, uh, I, I think he's got a chance to be a special, special player. I really do because of his, uh, his toughness, how intelligent he is, uh, his accepting of coaching, and his willingness to lead. Uh, when you put all those things together, and there's a reason A.J. Lawson played the best stretch of basketball he's played probably since he's been here as Jermaine became a better player for us. And, and Mike Coates are. No surprise he played better as Jermaine became a better player for us. Um, you know, that, he's got a chance to be a special player because of all those things I just said. Well, you heard me in there asking about Jermaine Kuznard potentially becoming – I know Kimball Walker is an extreme example. I understand that. But what I'm getting to is can Jermaine Kuznard become a great one-on-one player, essentially is what I'm asking. And it's a great answer from Frank Martin. He's got to be more consistent with his outside shot. That forces defenders to come up defend the drive and the jumper and then all of a sudden Jermaine Kuznard's first step is that much quicker that's just the kind of thing players develop in the offseason between their freshman and sophomore seasons so let's see if that's what happened with Jermaine Kuznard that's what South Carolina needs to have happen to take the next step as a team or cleared out for A.J. Lawson Lawson wasn't there this year again uh, back to the stats 41 percent shooting Lawson was not that kind of player. He was not an all-SEC performer this season. So maybe he can develop between the sophomore and junior seasons and become a true alpha when they take the floor again uh, next fall. And how about the roster for South Carolina? It's kind of exciting. Seventh Woods is coming in, so what kind of role will he play? He's a guard, obviously. But how does he fit into all this and... Frank Martin is out there recruiting. I can tell you, we report on it all the time at Sports Talk, South Carolina is recruiting and looking to pick up transfers. So if they're already full on their roster, how can he manage that? How can he juggle that? Here's Frank Martin knowing if he expects 
players to transfer out of the program. There's so much unknown in today's spring of college basketball that you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't continue to recruit. Uh, I didn't expect Jason Cutt and Felipe Hasse to transfer last year. Um, I, my end-of-year meetings with them were great. They were positive. Uh, we were, like, excited. I was excited. They were excited. And as they went into the spring, they both changed their minds. And uh, so now you're scrambling having to go uh, – to scramble to have to go recruit. Well, luckily, we had been recruiting Jalen McCreary, so that one was resolved rather quickly as soon as Jason Cutt made his decision. Uh, so that part of it, it's it's a pretty simple answer. It's just the landscape that we're in right now. Do I expect transfers right now? No. Uh, if I had conversations with players about them leaving, no. Um, do I think somebody's going to leave? I have no idea. I haven't even had my end-of-year meetings with players, uh, so I would not be prepared to answer that question as far as postseason, uh, since the season ended. And finally, we'll leave it here with Frank Martin. Uh, you know, uh, something that a lot of fans complained about, the number of fouls and foul shots taken. South Carolina's opponents shot 886 free throws to the Gamecocks 696. Now, this was a team with a winning record. Remember, an 18-win team, 10-8 and eight in SEC play, and was outshot from the foul line 886 to 696. And, of course, South Carolina often missed the foul shots it earned. How does Frank, now that he can just look back at it, you know, in complete clarity, no pressure, no games on the horizon, how did he think this team defended and why did they foul so much? That's uh, the one place that I was disappointed in our team is, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to when Sindarius and them were freshmen and Carrera and those guys were sophomores. Uh, because we play an aggressive style of defense. Young players tend to uh, uh, grab and hold, and there's no place for that in basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that, that team I just mentioned, those guys, by the, set, by the last eight, ten games of the year, uh, we had grown tremendously in that department and weren't fouling nearly as much. If there's one thing that I was not happy with our team, uh, that I just, uh, for whatever reason, and that's something, it's my job to fix it, um, uh, we, we never matured, uh, was to not foul as much. I was just disappointed in that. We, we were very reactionary, um, which is not good in any sport. Uh, you, you, you have to be on the aggressive and you have to be in the right place and, um, and you have to be mentally mature because in basketball, um, you know, it's not like baseball where you got time between pitches and it's not like football where there's time between plays to kind of, uh, have a, communi- a conversation to figure out, you know, which way you need to pitch or which way you need to run based on the way the other team's playing. And uh, in basketball, it never stops. So uh, you have to be able to process stuff and, and, and adjust mentally. And uh, I didn't think we did that real well. I was really disappointed in that. Um, uh, you know, but I think that's something that as time goes on and we get a little older and, and you know, probably coach a little bit better, uh, we'll, we'll eliminate some of the fouling. The, the free throw shooting, we're going to be okay. Uh, we we make them in practice, and uh, we made them in, in in huge moments of games. We shot them well in certain games, and then we had. Uh, I can tell you right off the top of my head, there's three games we lost this year, point blank, for missing free throws. Northern Iowa, <coughs> uh, the Boston University game, and and obviously 
Tennessee at Tennessee. Uh, without looking at my stat sheet, those are three losses that were directly attributed to missing free throws. And, and that's on us. We, we got to mature and, and be able to make free throws.